Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding Jesus' crucifixion. You can follow along with this message in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 23. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. How significant in your life is the cross? Paul said he would desire to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. You know, we think, well, this should be Easter. This is an Easter message, isn't it? We return to our series, The Life of Jesus. And today's message is entitled Crucifixion. The agonizing death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross was the supreme expression of man's sinfulness, but also the ultimate revelation of God's love. Our theme verse, you can take out your program, and Paul writing, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget about everything except Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. You know, that's a a guiding truth for our life. It was for Paul's. It certainly can be for ours as well. Because you see, Jesus' crucifixion is the core truth, the essential necessity, the essential necessity of the gospel we believe. For only through Jesus' death could we be forgiven. Crucifixion, perhaps the cruelest death known to man, actually originated in Persia. And today that's modern day what? Yeah, Iran. In 6th century BC. So it's practiced by the Persians. It was picked up by the Carthaginians then the Phoenicians, and then ultimately, then the Greeks, and then ultimately the Romans, though perhaps the Romans are known best for it. It's estimated that at the time of Jesus, the Romans had crucified 30,000 men in Israel, primarily for insurrection, which is leading revolts or resistance against the Roman rule. Now, it's interesting, when you read the Gospels, None of the gospel writers describe the procedure for securing Jesus to the cross. They also didn't focus on his physical suffering. Rather, they they spent more time, paid more attention to displaying the character of the crucifiers. And they showed Jesus' willingness to die. In fact, you know where we get most of our information about Jesus' crucifixion? From Thomas' comments a few days after resurrection. From him, we learn that Jesus was nailed through the hands, actually the wrist. The Greek word includes the lower part of the hand. And we know that he was actually nailed not through the palms, but through the wrist. 
But that was unusual because typically people who were being crucified were actually tied with leather thongs or with cords. The nails that were used on Jesus were actually spikes. They were probably five to seven inches long and they would have been about a half inch square. Crucifixion caused excruciating pain. That's what that word excruciate means, out of cross. They caused cramping and thirst, starvation, of course, sleeplessness, dizziness from dehydration, fever, and it caused a very slow, painful death. Ultimately, death occurred by exposure, exhaustion, and suffocation. There was an inability to breathe because you had to lift yourself and finally your legs would just be exhausted and you could no longer breathe. The cross revealed the plan of God and the purpose of Jesus' life. From this passage, 199, reading 199, I want to just pick out a couple of principles from this crucifixion of Jesus. First, the cross shows that Jesus refused to lessen his suffering. On 235. When they arrived at the place called the skull, or from John it says skull place, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, they crucified him there. Now the law of Moses required that executions be performed outside the city. Numbers 15.35. So Jesus was taken outside of Jerusalem to be crucified. Now this again, the Romans didn't care about what the Jews believed or what their law said, but the Romans didn't want to incite riots. So they were, they were expected by the Caesar to recognize Jewish law, not to intentionally infuriate the Jews. And the crucifixions would occur by the roadside, and especially areas where there was a, a hill or a cliff for greater visibility. Because you see, every crucifixion was demonstrating to the people, this will happen to you if you oppose Rome. The place that was chosen for Jesus' crucifixion was a hill outside of Jerusalem, referred to as the skull, in Greek, cranion. In Hebrew, as it says here, Golgotha. In Latin, Calvaria, which is where we get the word Calvary from. The hillside must have had the appearance of a skull. Perhaps there were caves or indentions that looked like the eyes, nose, and mouth of a skull. They're not sure exactly why this reference, possibly just because so many people were killed there. But. And there are two sites today that are suggested as the location. The traditional site today is inside a church. You can hardly see a hillside, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And Jesus' tomb, you see, is inside the same church, or there's a couple of different chapels connected together into one church. And you say, well, I thought it had to be outside. Well, this location was east of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, but later a wall was extended that included the area where Jesus was crucified. It had been a quarry that had completely played out. And so now it was a place for crucifixion and a place for burial. 
A second location is north of the city, again, which was part of a quarry, and it's called Gordon's Calvary. People can go there now, and they serve, uh, you know, you serve the Lord's Supper there, and uh, when we visited Israel, we, of course, visited both of these places. So we continue at verse 34. They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, the word gall just means something bitter, but Mark identifies it as myrrh, Mark 15, 23. And myrrh had a narcotic effect when ingested, but it was also a perfume. And remember, it was used for embalming as well. Myrrh was rubbed on the body of Jesus after he died, John 19, 39. But remember, it was a gift that was given to Jesus as an infant by the Magi as well in Matthew 2. Crucifixion was designed for slow, painful death. So obviously the myrrh wasn't given by the soldiers to alleviate Jesus' pain. So why would soldiers give a narcotic? So that the victims wouldn't resist and fight them as they attached the victim to to the cross. But Jesus didn't want to lessen his pain. He didn't want his senses dulled, so he refused to drink. He was determined to drink that cup of suffering. Remember, he cried out in the garden, Father, take from me this bitter cup, but not my will, but thy will be done. If you want from me, I'll drink this cup of suffering. Matthew 26, 39. He said the same to Peter, should I I not drink the cup that God has given to me? So Jesus would not reduce his agony. He wouldn't reduce the pain he suffered as he sacrificed. He intended to suffer all the pain that any human had suffered in order to die for the sins that we've committed. Romans 3, 23 through 25. Yes, Jesus suffered physically, but that wasn't the greatest suffering that he endured. The greater suffering was emotional and spiritual. Now, I want you to think about it. You know, we've we've talked so much in movies and all have heightened the physical suffering of Jesus. But I just told you that perhaps 30,000 people had been killed by the Romans. So why is it that his death could erase our sins when so many had been crucified the same way. You say, well, he was sinless. Well, true, none of the others were sinless, but there may have been many others that weren't guilty of this capital offense they were killed for. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus to suffer a painful, even the most painful human death to pay the price for sins. He had to suffer spiritual death as well. Physical death is the separation of soul and body. Spiritual death is the separation of soul, which is the life within. Separation of soul from God. Both are death. But where does the separation occur? And Jesus' greater suffering came first from experiencing, from bearing, from actually, some translations say, becoming our sin. Isaiah 53, 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And in so doing, he accepted the curse of the law, 
against anyone that ever sinned, anyone that broke any of God's laws. You see it in Galatians 3 and Deuteronomy 21. And the result was he was cursed, which means he was rejected from the Father. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 2. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Now I want you to understand this. That's the totality of every sin I not only have committed, but I'm yet to commit. And it's the totality, the individuality of every sin you will as well. And and he experienced our sins in a perfect mind and body so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. See, the infinitely greater suffering of Jesus was experiencing sin personally. You know, today it's hard with, the, with movies and all showing as much violence and sex as they do. But remember the first time you saw something that would just, just shocked you. You know, and we have some police officers here. And, you know, you remember the time when you walked up on something that, that horrified you. Well, I want you to understand how a man who never sinned, never had a sinful thought, never had an angry thought, became immersed in the sin of us all. And just imagine the shock of that. And then as a result of that, he was separated from the Father. And you know this verse, Matthew 27. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and this is during crucifixion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the separation from God was an experience of hell. And that's what hell is. Hell is, you know, I've said perhaps it's flames. Perhaps uh, there's literally burning sulfur and all that. Perhaps that's figurative. But we know that hell is complete, total, final separation from God. And in order to die for our sins, Jesus had to suffer hell. In all of its agony. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you know this truth? That Jesus willingly accepted your individual personal sins. Internalized them. Which caused him to be rejected by the father as he hung on the cross. That's the depth of the cross. We continue at verse 25. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. There would be four soldiers called a quaternium with a commanding centurion who would be posted with victims until they died. And it was so that, one, no one could come in and take them off the cross, but also no one could give them a swifter death to relieve their suffering. The cross also revealed Jesus' identity. John 19, 19. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put on the cross above his head, they put the charge against him in writing. 
the inscription was Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. It was, it was customary for a criminal to have the crime for which he was being executed posted, usually written maybe perhaps by, with gypsum on a board and mounted above his head. Now, you know from what we looked at last week that Pilate was convinced that Jesus was innocent. But he was forced by these Jewish religious leaders and the Jewish people to crucify him. And they threatened to, to report him to Caesar and he feared a riot arising if he released Jesus. Well, since Jesus is crucified, Pilate no longer fears a riot and he no longer fears a negative report to the emperor. So Pilate's arrogance returns. You know anybody like that? Sometimes they get real mild when they think trouble is coming. But when the trouble passes, the arrogance rises again. And so we see his nature. And so he posted this over Jesus' head. Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And he did it deliberately to infuriate the Jews. Now, some of you have grown up in churches that had more crosses, particularly metal crosses, and you saw these letters, I-N-R-I, right? Who's seen that? And you think, well, what does Enri mean? Well, those are actually the, the first letters of these, these words in Latin. Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews, saying the same thing in Latin. See, the Jews looked down on Nazareth. It was a very poor town. You know, they mostly had farming and some tradesmen, but it was very insignificant. It was very small, less than a thousand, perhaps just a few hundred people. And so the Jews believe that this insignificant town in Galilee, of course, the northern part of the country, that, that it, was, it was so inferior, no one of importance could come from there, certainly not a king. So Pilate's sign was intended to express his disdain for the Jewish leaders. But don't miss this. It was true. You know, sometimes people do something for an evil reason and God still uses it for good. Have you discovered that? That's a verse out of Genesis 50 referring to Joseph's brothers. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew Latin and Greek. The Hebrew was actually Aramaic, which is a, a language very similar to Hebrew that the people actually spoke and used. I think a few weeks ago I said Akkadian. That's, that comes out of Louisiana. That isn't. <laughs> so I think some of you even got told. See there, you didn't know this. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was Aramaic, not Akkadian. That was likely what was written. Greek was the most universal language in the Roman Empire and Latin was the official language of Rome. So it was written in three languages. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews. Write instead, he said, I am the king of the Jews. See, the priests are, are protesting. They're saying, you need to change that sign. You need to say that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews and that's his charge and that's why he was put to death. And Pilate replied, what I have written, 
I have written. What tone do you think he used? You can hear it with a sneer, can't you? I think he was just dripping with arrogance once he was no longer afraid. Pilate's contempt for the Jews motivated his action. But you know, it may be, as I said, that God moved him to write the truth over his son's head as he died. Don't overlook the fact that one day everyone will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, for many, it'll be too late. But there will come a day on Christ's return when there will be no one in denial. There'll be no agnostics. There'll be no atheists. There'll be no Muslims. There'll be, they will, everyone will acknowledge Jesus is Lord. But for many, it won't be a declaration of faith. It'll be a declaration of condemnation. Jesus' identity was also confirmed through prophecy. Verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. Now, Jewish men of this time usually wore five pieces of clothing. An undergarment, a tunic. An outer garment, a cloak. You see a, a, a big square of uh, cloth. Something that cinched up the middle. It could have been a leather belt or a rope or a sash. A head covering and also sandals. So they divided up four of these pieces, and then they came to the tunic. And they also took the tunic, it says, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So someone wove it or knitted it, and it had no seams. Typically what they wore was just two squares of material that were sewn together. A, a gap was left in the top, and the sides were sewn together and they pulled that on. And then they had the loose, loose cloak over the top and they had a belt, sandals, and then something over their head. His was seamless, Jesus was. Demonstrates his integrity, doesn't it? You know, is my life seamless? Is your life seamless instead of being put together with all these different pieces? So I'm one way with this crowd and one way with this. Somebody else, I'm, I'm different at work. I'm di another personality at church. In my neighborhood, I'm like this. Or are you seamless? The same everywhere, all the time, regardless of audience. It's interesting, isn't it, that he had a seamless robe over a seamless character. And so they said, let's, don't, let's not tear it, but instead let's toss for it to see who gets it. And they did this to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and for my clothing they cast lots. And this is what the soldier did, soldiers did. And it fulfilled the prophecy of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Casting lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New. But we don't know exactly what the lots were. 
it, they could have been sticks of different lengths, you know, like, you know, we would draw straws sometimes. They could have been flat stones that were marked on one side or coins. And, and there might have been dice. I mean, there are dice made of bone that are found from before the time of Jesus. But there was some way of, of making a decision, some type of gambling to determine who wins. And this fulfilled prediction that David wrote in Psalm 22 over a thousand years before. The death of Jesus also fulfilled other Old Testament prophecies. If you wanna read about prophecy, read Isaiah 53, read Psalms 22, read Zechariah 12, 10. And remember that the Jews writing that knew nothing about crucifixion. It was far far earlier than crucifixion had arrived with the Romans. Another confirmation of Jesus is a parallel from the law. When, when animals were sacrificed, they were, they were slain at the temple. The blood was poured on the mercy seat. And then the animal's body was taken outside the camp and burned. And like the, the sacrifice that was burned, Jesus' body was offered outside the camp. Hebrews 13 says again that he fulfilled the law by being taken outside the camp. This crucifixion, you see, it involved Jewish religious leaders, Jewish citizens, Jewish temple guards, two Roman governors, Herod Antipas from Galilee, Pontius Pilate from Judea, and the Roman soldiers. And all of them shared in the responsibility for Jesus' death. But who caused it? Who caused it? Give me an answer. Well, we were part of it. Who planned it? Don't miss the fact that it was God's predetermined plan. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4 all tell us God laid out this plan. Again, for you, has the true identity of Jesus been proven to you by his spirit, by the scripture, confirmed with your own life experiences. See, once you've had revealed to you the identity of Jesus, you can't deny it. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot deny it. It's so true to you. The cross also shows that Jesus requested mercy for his adversaries. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Now, they knew they were putting him to death, but obviously they weren't convinced that they were putting God in human flesh to death. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says if they had known, they wouldn't have done it. Now think about these people. These were religious Jews. Remember, they're all in Jerusalem because it's time for festival observance. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. So these are not pagans, hateful people. These are people who would call themselves God-fearing, law-abiding and they've all shown up in Jerusalem in order to worship. 
But they only knew the God of rules and rituals. They didn't know the God of relationship. Now, perhaps they preferred God that way. You know, some of us find greater security and comfort with a God of rules and regulations and rituals because he's silent and he's distant. And so though we can decide and control our own religious selves. I, th- I fear some of us are living like that now. We, we believe in God, but not a God who's close in. Rather, a God who's far away, so then we decide how we live. But when you know Christ, he's a God of relationship, and he moves right in. How forgiving are you of enemies? Instead of seeking vengeance, he said he could have called 10,000 angels, couldn't he? 12,000 angels. He prayed for his enemies. He said, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you in Matthew 5. But here's what his prayer really tells us. There is no sin so awful are so evil that it cannot be forgiven for those who repent. Surely some of the same people who yelled crucify him would be among the 3,000 that would be saved on the day of Pentecost. Or certainly some of them would be among the 5,000 who again were born again a few weeks later. In fact, Matthew 27 54 says that the soldiers that guarded him and the centurion recognized, surely this is God. As the earthquake struck as Jesus died. And even some of the Jewish priests came to faith, Acts 6, 7 says. If forgiveness is available to people who put Jesus to death, It's available to anyone who asks. And that includes me. And that includes you. John 3, 17 says it very well. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Have you been saved through God's son? Our counselors will come to the front. You know, this lesson tells you that you may have been living with guilt over something that you deliberately did. And today's lesson says, if you are willing to repent, you will be saved. Your sin and mine are included in that crucifixion. So I urge you, you could, if you want someone to anoint you with oil, to pray for you for healing, physical, mental, spiritual, they'll do that. We don't always see healing, but we do see healing at times. So let me just urge you. The counselors will remain as long as you need. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die.
we are shocked by the way so many people put him to death, such an innocent man, even from a human perspective, a good and innocent man. And Lord, I'm relieved that I wasn't there and didn't have a chance to join in the one's cry and crucify him. But Father, we thank you he came so that even his enemies could be forgiven. So Father, right now, speak to, speak to someone here. Show them yourself. Reveal their sin. Give them new birth through your spirit and a brand new life. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our websites or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.